Welcome to the Rethinking Supply Chain Podcast, sponsored by Venzi. Join John Abrams, your podcast host and CEO of Venzi Technologies, to learn about new and exciting trends in the movement to digitize and rethink the global supply chain. This week's guest is Raghwinder Reki, CEO of Nazar Systems. Nazar is a SaaS platform that enables retail food service to manage a digitized supply chain. Reki, good to see you. Uh, we're we're here in the uh, the winter side in Chicago, which uh, Reki, I know you're in Florida, and I'm I'm incredibly jealous of that. But here's another episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, and we've been talking now for a few months, uh, several months. Not that we haven't known each other for, and this is going to shock you, Reki, decades. I, I I it's hard to use that word uh, as a professional and say, well. My relationship with somebody extends decades because it makes me feel old. So uh, other than that, what I want to share with the audience is that your company is doing some things in supply chain, and we know each other from our days at uh, McDonald's. And you worked at, uh, you really helped drive and open McDonald's India, which was a, a fantastic thing. And I think we met, you were in... Uh, part of McDonald's, uh, maybe Latin America at the time. And the reason that we came into contact is there was a group being formed at McDonald's that was originally called the Best and the Brightest. And McDonald's decided we shouldn't use that name because the people that don't get picked uh, will feel will feel bad. But uh, you were one of the best and the brightest, and we all got together for a project in Chicago and I, I just really enjoyed your intellect. You've got a, a great academic pedigree, and you're one of the sharpest people that I know. And that you are now in supply chain, focused on things in the food supply chain, is A, I think something that the world should be grateful for, to have minds like yours focused on the problem. And maybe let's start there. What are you doing these days? And also... Just to make it spicy, how bad is the supply chain for food, and what drove you to try and solve it? John, that's uh, thank you for such a flattering uh, introduction. My God, you're making me blush. Uh, you know, as you know, John, I've been in international supply chain for a very long time, uh, long before I moved into country-level CEO or in McDonald's speak, uh, managing director. And my last few years as, as managing director level positions, that's when we met. I'd already moved away from supply chain. But uh, you know, to, to get to, the, to your specific question, I founded Nazar Systems about three years ago. And we started you know, being all ex-McDonald's people, somehow or the other connected to supply chain, but eventually moving on to uh, managing segments of the entire business. Uh, uh, so we have three founders, uh, co-founders along with me. And we started with this deep understanding of the restaurant business. And so we are not a technology people. We, we felt that there are issues that can be addressed. Now, it used to be that um, people would only think about supply chain when they had questions like, 
where the hell is my stuff or something like that. <laughs> when it's not there, then you worry about supply chain. Otherwise, it's, everything's fine. Exactly. And now it is top of mind for people like the CEO or a CFO. And thanks to COVID, it is really on top of mind for them. You know, look at it from the flip side. For those that are ready, this is a great opportunity to actually address the real problems of supply chain instead of being constantly in firefighting mode, because that's what's happening. Today, if you talk to any supply chain professional, they hardly have time to talk to you. Yeah. Um, they're putting out fires left, right, and center. So is anybody thinking about, okay, how do we prevent future fires? Probably not. Probably not. But these are, and it's interesting that you got into this area three years ago, because uh, three years ago would have been pre-pandemic. Supply chain was something that if I went to an investor and I said, hey, I'm raising money to do a supply chain startup, they would say, I don't understand what you're talking about. Today, you tell somebody you're doing things in supply chain, and they ask you how they can get involved. So what switched for you? What drove you pre-pandemic to get into an area that you and I both know the challenges of supply chain, but uh, what, what was the motivator? Well, as you can see from behind me, the, my screen background, perishables, lettuce, and so on and so forth. You know, I was in, on one of my trips, I was just watching and reading about the CDC and FDA saying, don't eat lettuce. <laughs> They say that every week. <laughs> exactly. And I'm thinking, my God, if everybody stops eating lettuce, then think about the, the domino effect of this going backwards. So you throw away everything that's in your refrigerator. The supermarket throws everything that they have on the shelf. The warehouse throws everything that they have. The trucks throw away what they're, what they're transporting. The farmer plows over what he has on the ground and doesn't plant the next crop. How many billions of billions of dollars is that? And what happened? Why did the FDA say that? Well, because they couldn't figure out where the contamination was coming from. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking, there's got to be a better way of doing that. It has to be, we, it shouldn't take six weeks to eight weeks to figure out where this contamination is coming from. So that's how... You know, I got started on this and say, okay, what can we do to solve this real problem? Not just for the restaurant industry, but for everybody from farmers all the way back to the back end of the restaurant. So many different economic players involved. And I started talking to some of my friends and ex-colleagues and we started thinking about it. And we came up with a, a series of solutions. And then the pandemic hit mm. and that compressed everything. Clearly, the, the future is we got to go digital. And why is the supply chain not becoming digital? Yes. Or or this is the thing I run into all the time. I, I was on the phone a few weeks ago with retail reporter from the Wall Street Journal. And, and she was saying, uh, wait, your AI for supply chain, oh my God, that's that's amazing. And I said, no, the amazing thing is that the supply chain hasn't been digital or hasn't used intelligence for decades, and it could have. And I don't understand, and I'm sure this is 
I'd love to hear your perspective on it. How in the world can there still be paper that is governing the supply chain? You know velocity in supply chain. There is probably not a higher velocity supply chain than food products through the McDonald's system, which you know well. And so velocity, six to eight weeks of recall cycle. I think that's generous. Uh, It may actually be longer than that and often doesn't resolve the issue. It's six weeks of track and trace, which doesn't actually get it down to a particular part of a farm. It sometimes gets it to a part of the region. So lettuce in this part of California, as opposed to it should be from this specific lot, from this specific grower, from this specific part of their farm. And it doesn't happen. And the six to eight weeks, which again, I think is generous, is largely due to the entire governance of that lettuce velocity through to consumption is paper-based, has to be audited, and literally tracked by individuals either at CDC or FDA who are looking for the anomalies or the bacteria or whatever as evidence in the supply chain. So of course it's six to eight weeks, and of course the FDA has to say, or whoever's going to issue the edict, throw your lettuce because they have no idea and they know that it's all manual and they know it's never going to catch up to the velocity of consumption. So that's a lot of statement, but let's get back to this. Why in the world is it still not digital? Well, you know, there are a number of reasons, but let let me get back to something very, very critical here. And this is not just the, the problem does not manifest itself just in the form of economic costs. The contamination of leafy greens has become a real issue dealing with people's health. Mm-hmm. Now, yes, six to eight weeks is generous. Six to eight weeks is the time it takes to try and identify the source of the contamination. By the time the whole thing is worked out, 10 to 14 weeks have passed and the product mm-hmm. is actually being recalled. Now, People get need, needlessly sick in this. Some people die. And, you know, that is an enormous human cost. And yet we have, in all fairness, I must say, that the FDA has been rather proactive on addressing this issue. The problem is paper-based records. Mm. And FDA has put out a very clear line in the sand Rule 204 of the Food Service Modernization Act. You know, FSMA was enacted uh, in 2011. It's now fully operational. The last piece was this Rule 204, which talks about uh, traceability and the time frame in which traceability information has to be provided. Previously, you know, whenever uh, the FDA asked for information, they got reams and reams of paper do- records that had they had to go through. Sure. Now they want you to deliver it within 24 hours in a digital format. That expectation is being directed at an industry that is, supply, uh, you know, spreadsheet based. Yeah. So, and that is what most supply chains today operate under. So, you ask why? Look at the interesting thing about you know, greater than 80 percent of supply chain professionals today will tell you that. Absolutely, we must be digital. 
yet only 25% of the companies are actually doing something about it, which is kind of shocking. But then that's the way it is. What is even worse is that those companies that are already digital, and you know they have lots of digital data coming in because they went digital or because their supply chain uh, providers or you know the backend is already sending them information in a digital format, which then they put into a spreadsheet. Most of that data, you know, 95% of it sits idle. It's unused. Mm. It is simply not in a format that can do something useful. These are all the kind of disconnects. And what boggles my mind is that continuing to do the same thing, but expecting different outcomes. I mean, it's not a winning strategy, right? We, we can no. all agree on that, right? Now, the flow of digital data where it exists is expanding exponentially. And it will only be more and more and more as, as speed of business uh, continues to expand, uh, to grow. And so if nothing, nothing changes, then we will have more and more digital data sitting there unused. Well, that's interesting. Um, and it, I, I recall that you worked on some of the modernization within the four walls of McDonald's around ERP. And one of the things, uh, my experience with ERP was not at McDonald's, it was in healthcare. And uh, we used uh, SAP as, as our uh, ERP provider. And one of the things that in healthcare that we were very good about was managing our, uh, our financial operations on those ERP systems. And what I wanted to do, and this is actually what led me into my current business, is that when I went to SAP and said, okay, look, we already know how to manage within our four walls. We know how to execute on the data that we have. What I need is connectivity to my partners, suppliers and uh, downstream customers. And the answer, not to indict SAP, but the answer was, we don't, we don't do that. And so one of the things, when you talk about the data sitting idle, it may be not of uh, tremendous use within that particular organization that has modernized and has digitized, but it may be of tremendous value to, to an upstream or downstream trading partner. And so when you talk about data sitting idle, well, it, it's not that it's not useful. It's just not useful within maybe the four walls of that entity, but it's certainly useful upstream or downstream. So isn't isn't it then in the connectivity, if you will, that the biggest challenge exists? You know, absolutely. See, you, you mentioned ERPs, and ERPs are great, uh, you know, solutions. They're fantastic. But they are within the silos of an existing corporation. What we eat, whether in a restaurant or at home, is a sum total of everything that happened from the time the seed was planted and everything that happened after that. So many different entities are layered in making that product reach your back door or your plate. Now, all the information that's out there sits in separate secure silos because of confidentiality and people want to make sure that their information stays intact and close to them. A two, an hour delay in chilling that lettuce for, when after it was cut will probably not have any impact on the immediate 
sequence of events. But by the time it gets to the supermarket shelf, its shelf life is going to be shorter. So like to your point, something that happened way upstream is manifesting itself at the end point. So there has got to be a way of providing for the security and confidentiality of your information and yet having interoperability so that cause and effect can be readily connected. Data does no good sitting in separate secure silos. There has to be a way of putting it all to work together. And that's something that, you know, we can help with. You know, that's uh, the way we are wired in business. And I think we're all sort of taught this is that you are to protect the assets of your company. That is what gives you competitive advantage. That protection of the data does lead to, uh, I'm going to optimize within my four walls, within the silo, as you suggest. But we are disincented and we are trained to be disincented by, for sharing that information. But I want to draw together two points you've made, that it is only in the interoperability that we get to things that save people's health, that literally save their lives. And I don't think that most supply chain leaders are thinking about the sharing of data as salvation for health uh, or for preventing death. They are, they are thinking that I will optimize my silo and therefore I will know if there's an anomaly that I need to address. So the lettuce sat too long in an unrefrigerated container. I need to deal with that, not I need to worry about whether that happens six more times before it gets to the store or the restaurant. Because if it happens six more times, whatever began to fester in the lettuce in hour one has been exaggerated by hour six, and now we have a problem that only when connected do we actually see that problem. We're running short of time in in this episode, but I want to kick this into the next one. Is this problem a technical problem, or is it a problem that we need more counselors (laughs) to to help change people's thinking? Uh, Because I approach it from an interoperability technical position, and what you're suggesting is that it's, it's beyond the tech. It's, it's the motivation to share. Absolutely. And, you know, I, w- I would put it in very simply uh, in, a, in a economic terms. Everybody has their own KPIs, and it results in people having sharp elbows because, <laughs> you know, they try and push everything. I had not drawn the connection between the sharp elbows, which I run into often, and the KPIs that are not shared. That is a tremendous observation. I really appreciate that. I will steal that from you and use it frequently. Hey, Recky, great talking to you today. Uh, We're going to do another episode with you, but uh, for now, uh, this has been a tremendous joy to uh, reconnect and share it with a broader audience, and I look forward to our next opportunity. It's a pleasure, John, as always, and I'm glad to talk about this because this is something that I spend my day thinking about. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rethinking Supply Chain, sponsored by Venzi. 
To stay up to date with our latest releases, subscribe to the podcast and follow us on LinkedIn. You can also learn more at RethinkingSupplyChain.com. Thanks for listening.